Well, let's turn our attention now to the book of 1 John. We've only got a couple more Sundays in 1 John, if you can believe it. I've really enjoyed this book. We're looking at 1 John chapter 5 this morning. You know, I love movies that tie everything together at the end, where the main character either solves a mystery or defeats a dark force of some kind and in a way that surprises everyone. Well, the Apostle John is, is starting to tie everything he's been saying up to this point together. And we're left staring at overcomers, overcomers of a dark and corrupt power, overcomers who overcome in a way that surprises everyone. And so let's read it. First John chapter five, beginning in verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. And whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Okay, we're going to look at two broad categories in this text this morning. First, those who overcome. And second, he who testifies. Those who overcome. John is saying again what he's said before. If you've... Not noticed by now, John likes to repeat himself. Like any good teacher would, or faithful parent, or like a faithful pastor, we could say. He keeps going back to what matters most. Belief or faith is mentioned in verses 1, 4, and 5. Love in verses 1, 2, and 3. The need to obey God's commandments in verses 2 and 3. If you remember, he presented throughout his letter these tests of faith uh, to bring assurance to those who were embracing Jesus as Savior. And these tests reveal. They show who you really are, what you really believe. He's already presented the test of faith, the test of love, the test of obedience, and he's bringing uh, the churches to whom he's writing back to these tests. Now, you have to remember, the church community uh, that he's writing to had been rocked by people who were once a part of them, who had gone out from them, and had embraced teachings about Jesus that were not in line with what Jesus himself taught or what the apostles taught. And those who remained were struggling with questions, undoubtedly. 
wondering, my goodness, how could this happen to them? And, and what does that mean for us? I'm sure there were doubts and frustrations and little groups talking uh, behind closed doors and all kinds of things happening. And now John is drawing lines from their faith, their belief in Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, who is fully man and fully God. He's drawing lines from their faith in Jesus as Messiah to their new identity as children of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, has been born of God. There it is, new identity. You've heard the term born again, maybe? Well, Jesus said it in John chapter 3, the book of John chapter 3, where he encounters Nicodemus, a religious leader, and he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what, how? That's crazy. And Jesus talked about how that's the work of the Holy Spirit. This, what John's writing is talking about being born of God. This is new life in Christ, born into the family of God. Last Sunday, Trevor talked about the mutual sharing that happens within a marriage covenant and how when we're abiding in God, in God in us, where there's that fellowship with God, there's a sharing that takes place on an intimate level. This speaks of relationship with the living God. John is saying it this way. He talks about abiding in God, but now he's talking about you've been born of God. You've entered into a new and living relationship. You're part of the family of God. And this happened because of your faith in Jesus. He's brought life. And John does the same for those who are walking in love. He draws a line from their express love to their new identity, born of him, new life. He says, we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. When you love someone, you set out to please them, right? I mean, I hope so. And in the same way, when you love God, you find out what pleases God. You find out what pleases God. I want to honor him. I want to please him. I want to live for his glory. I want to obey him. When you love him, you want to obey him. Love looks like obedience to God's commandments, which, by the way, John says, are not troublesome or burdensome. They're not oppressive in any way. They're not restrictive or meant to hold you back or keep something from you that you'd be better off having. His, command, his commandments are for our good and for our joy. I want to direct you to a couple of passages. One is found in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus he says this in, uh, beginning in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what Jesus is saying. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Oh, that's good news. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Come to me and you will find rest, Jesus is saying. You will not find oppression. You will find rest. Turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome uh, about walking in love. Beginning in verse 9. For the commandments 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's why. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is what John's been talking about. Walking in love. When you walk in love towards others and towards God, you're fulfilling God's command. And he empowers us by his very love and presence and spirit to to do this. And so it's not a burden. It's not an oppressive thing. It's our joy. And it produces good. This faith, love, and obedience working in your life are a sign that you've been born of God, which is a supernatural and divine work of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian today, if, you're, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus and there's evidence of that in your life, listen, that is a divine work of the Spirit of God who awakens uh, your heart, your soul, who, to who God is, who he's revealed himself to be in his son Jesus. Uh, Paul talks about it this way, that faith itself is a, a gift from God uh, so that we can't even boast. It's by grace we're saved. This new birth, it produces new desires. So when you become a Christian, you you are born again, you're born into a new family, and you find out that you have new desires. A desire to please him like never before. A desire for others to know him like never before. So you have new desires, new affections, and a new power to walk in the call that God has given you. So do you see how intricately connected, how truly inseparable love for God and love for others is throughout this letter? I hope that you're seeing it. I trust that you are. John has repeated himself enough that we would at least see that, how connected faith, love, and obedience is, and what it all leads to. What does it lead to? It leads to verses 4 and 5. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. John is writing to bring assurance to this struggling community. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So what does he mean first by world? Well, he's already told us not to love the world, right? Not to love the world. He's, in a sense, in in chapters 2, verses 15 through 17, he warns against devotion or loyalty to a system in opposition to God. He's not saying don't love people. He's saying, don't love this system in opposition to God. He doesn't want them to set their hearts, which is the very central command. It's the seat of our affections. It's who we are. Don't set your heart on on the things of this world. Don't adopt a worldview that ignores or forgets or dismisses or even uses God. Don't fall in love with the fleeting pleasures in the passing darkness. That's the warning. We've already heard it in chapter 2. And now he says here in chapter 5, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. The world that has been overcome is not the physical stuff of our existence as if all physical things are evil. It is the world system, as I said, set in opposition to God, expressed in countless ways. It's a source of temptation. It is a source of distraction, but also an active power for evil that resents the rule of Jesus. And John says, if you've been born of God, you have overcome that. That dark, corrupt power 
that system set up and opposed to God, that evil. And the victory, the secret, the secret that has overcome it, he says, is our faith. Okay, wow, our faith has overcome that. But faith is never faith in faith. Listen, Christian faith has content, substance. It is not about willpower. There's always an object faith relies on, always. You might have faith in you. John is talking about faith in Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith. Verse 5, who is it again? Who overcomes the world? Emphasis is being made by repetition. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Son of God is loaded with implications we don't have time to get into. But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that's the one who overcomes the world. Because Jesus has overcome We are overcomers. Because Jesus has defeated sin and death and the devil, we stand in victory. Truly, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, we've heard it. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, this is good news for us. I mean, it's really good news for us. In John, the, the gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, In the world you have tribulation. Oh, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. By your faith in Jesus, you are so united with him that his victory becomes yours. You conquer by his power. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31. We have to. Sorry, Russell, I know I didn't tell you that. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Oh, as it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
How? How is it that in death we are more than conquerors? You know, because there are times that it sure doesn't feel like or seem like I am a conqueror in Christ Jesus, okay? And you know what I'm talking about when the brokenness of life, when the pain of sickness and the evil of death come at us. That hostile opposition to our faith in Jesus or when powerful temptations lure us away. How can we say, I've overcome, I'm an overcomer? Now, I want us to consider how the Apostle Paul dealt with as well. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are a number of places you can go. You should read Hebrews 11, this hall of faith. Those who clung to faith and held on to it when they were in the midst of persecution and opposition. And then in Hebrews 12, right after that chapter of just talking about those who were holding on to faith, even in the midst of just great tribulation, it talks about uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the pioneer, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith who goes before us. And so there's faith there. But look what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 15, uh, beginning, beginning in verse 53. He's talking about when we die, what's going to happen for this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Now, I'm reading this because when you think of uh, our greatest foe or enemy, and when you think of what's going to come for all of us, we think of death. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he begins to taunt. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, and this verse will be written on my tombstone. Therefore, my beloved brothers, in light of what I've just said about the victory we have in Christ, even over death, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. No matter what comes your way, no matter how insignificant you feel in the midst of your labor for the Lord, he sees it, it's, it's not in vain. No matter if you get struck down in the prime of your life, death does not have the final say. This is not positive thinking. This isn't a pep talk. You got this. Oh, just believe. It's not what this is. It is a bold declaration of victory in the face of a defeated foe meant to quiet our anxious hearts and meant to deepen assurance in Jesus and empower us for living. Listen, if Valerie, my wife Valerie, if she's for me, man, the whole world could be against me. I don't care. Man, if she's by my side and she's for me and she's for what I believe in, ah, we're doing it. Come on. But even more so, if I know that if God is for me, who? Who could be against me? 
So who or what is the object of your faith? The person who embraces Jesus this way, not however which way you think is best, not easy believism, which says, yeah, I believe, but fails to see how belief is meant to influence and transform your life, and not simply agreement to a set of doctrines alone or facts about Jesus. We are talking here about faith, which looks like reliance which looks like trust, which looks like rest, which looks like falling on Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And not for tradition's sake and not for your girlfriend's sake, but because of who Jesus is. That is the belief that John is inviting us into. And if you have, he's saying you are an overcomer. Second, he who testifies. He goes on to say, this is he who came. This isn't just any Jesus, any old Jesus you want to come up with in your mind. This is the one who came by water and by blood. Now, not by water only, but by water and blood. Okay, wait, what? What's he talking about here? <laughs> The false teachers believed Jesus was a normal man just who received divine spirit at his baptism and then that spirit left him at his crucifixion or so scholars think that's what they believed. And it kind of makes sense here. He says it's not just by baptism or not just by water, but also by blood, by crucifixion. Something's happening here. You see, the false teachers who had gone out from this church, they, they distorted the truth about Jesus and adapted uh, these things to make sense of the mystery that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Now, there are questions about what John means by water and blood. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, you can read about it. John was a witness. When they pierced Jesus' side, what came out? Water and blood. So some, some would think that's what he's referring to. Others would think he's referring to in the testimony of that. Uh, but others would think he's referring to water, meaning at his baptism. And, and that's, that's what I think. When he says by water, I think he's talking about the very first thing that Jesus did before he launched into public ministry. He was baptized by John the Baptist, who was that voice in the wilderness proclaiming the way of the Lord, that the Lord would come. And here Jesus is, he's baptized. And do you remember what happened at, at Jesus' baptism? The Father's voice was heard, this is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit fell on him like a dove. Spirit's not a dove. Uh, so like a dove, his presence. So God himself is telling us who Jesus is at his baptism. He's a witness. God is a witness to who Jesus is. And he's saying that Jesus is my divine son. And then by blood, this is about his crucifixion. And this is a witness to his humanity. Jesus would die, truly. In Revelation 12, oh, there's this beautiful passage in verse 11. And we get this picture, Revelation is this very bright brightly colored book with all these images that come at us. Uh, and and, and we, we get this picture in Revelation 12 of the deceiver of the world who comes raging at the saints. And what do the saints do? How do they stand their ground against the deceiver of the world? It says this in verse 11 of Revelation 12. And they have conquered, or they have overcome, 
him, the deceiver, how? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. They died for the sake of Christ, but they were overcomers by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is strong. John is proclaiming the testimony of God, water and blood. Water and blood. His baptism, his crucifixion, is telling us truth about Jesus. And author N.T. Wright says Jesus was in fact conquering the world through the cross. Even though it looked for a moment as though the world had conquered him. I love that. Jesus stood, listen church, Jesus stood before the corrupt political power of Rome and they thought they were winning. They thought they were the ones in control. They thought they had silenced him. And then Jesus stood under the indescribable weight of our sin. And the devil thought he won. Jesus received what we deserve and stood and faced death. And death could not win. He conquered. Who conquers like this? Who conquers through suffering and through death? So unexpected. In a way that surprises everyone. By blood. There was a decisive victory won for us when Jesus died to overcome evil, sin, and death. By water and blood. And then he goes on to say the Spirit of God, the Spirit testifies He is the Spirit. The Spirit is the truth. And so we're talking about God, the Holy Spirit here. Jesus said the Spirit would do this, that he would testify or bear witness about Jesus. And so here he is testifying. The Spirit, we know, convicts of sin. He opens eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. The Spirit testified and continues to testify. And this is not only a one-time thing, it's an ongoing activity. And you can read about it in in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church and how people, uh, the church, would testify, but the Spirit was testifying through them and empowers us now in the year 2020 to do the same thing. So the Spirit continues to testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, all three agree and testify. If you, if you haven't caught on to this section, the word testimony, it's mentioned eight times. What's going on here? In verse 9, John says this, basically, hey, you accept man's testimony. Well then, do you see what you have here? It's a greater testimony than man could offer. God himself has taken the stand and testifies concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. It's a shared experience, a shared testimony. But here God has taken the stand. But here's the rub. If you don't believe, if you don't believe this testimony, you're calling God a liar. You're walking in unbelief. And and unbelief looks like, can look like a lot of things, but it looks like indifference to what God is saying, defiance, apathy, denial, ignoring, and then just straight up rejecting. But here's the testimony summed up for us in verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. This This is it. That God gave God gave us eternal life. And this life, it's in his son. 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. God gave. His testimony isn't just in what he's saying, it's what he's done. What he's given. God gave eternal life. And this life, this eternal life, could literally be translated age to come life. Or life of the age to come. I want to explain this. We've created a slide. I want you to see it. What this age to come life is really all about. It's about living in the overlap. Let me explain. We live presently in the present age. And in this age, we experience injustice, oppression, suffering, evil, and misery. I experience it, and I know you do too. In the age to come, we will not experience those things. Sin will be completely eradicated, every tear wiped from our eye. Rescue, restoration, healing, wholeness, wrongs made right. And what John is saying is that you now experience this life here and now through Christ, through Jesus. Life is found in him. This age to come life is found in him now. And you will experience it in the future in a way you're not experiencing it now, but you do experience it now. We live in the overlap. We are new creations in Christ Jesus who are called to live in the good of what God has done through his son. We have age to come life. Eternal life now. And it's because of Jesus' life. It's because of Jesus' death and resurrection. He makes this eternal life available here and now. And so this life is God's gift to give. It is a gift. Life and the Son, life and Jesus go together. You cannot have one without the other, but you can have both. You can have both. John leaves us staring at overcomers, right? Who are holding on to a testimony that comes from God. That have overcome by that. Are trusting in that. The truth is, church, I am staring at overcomers. I'm staring at overcomers who have overcome a dark and corrupt power by faith in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are an overcomer. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you can have the life I just described and the Son. You cannot have one without the other. Look to Jesus today. He is your rescue. His victory is ours. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we see here. The overcoming nature of our faith and the reality of your testimony 
and what you say about your son Jesus and what that means for our life is so encouraging. It, it drives home such a, a sweet assurance. We're thankful for it. Would you help us now to live in response to it? We love you. God, would you encourage hearts today? Would we leave this place with this reality just, just in our heads and hearts that we're overcomers because you have overcome? And that we pray that would inform how we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.